Welcome to Education, Leadership, and Beyond, Surviving and Thriving. My name is Andrew Murata, host of the show, and it is show number 220. Happy summer, happy August, and good afternoon if you are watching live here on Facebook. We are a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, as well as Voice Ed Radio Canada, iTunes, wherever it is you are watching this podcast or listening. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for your support. Uh, show number 220. Happy to be rolling and really excited for today's guest. I mean, I've, I've been doing this now 219 times, but today, man, it's, this is a special day. We have J.D. Collins, the National Coordinator of Men's Basketball Officials with the NCAA. So we had to bring out the special logo uh, for J.D. here uh, on this special occasion. I do want to thank today's sponsor of the program. That is the Coaching and Leadership Journal. When I do my little virtual background, it kind of screws up the, the visual here. So, uh, But the Coaching and Leadership Journal by Dan Spanauer. Uh, check it out. They have a discount code, Marada20. Uh, and that is you can find that at the leadershippublishingteam.com. It is a nice journal. It is several pages uh, thick. And it, it it's kind of in tune with what's going on. This is July's edition here. Uh, a number of uh, great articles and insights. So uh, I'm going to send JD as a thank you. Some of these, um, the coaching and leadership journal, check them out at the leadership publishing team.com. And that discount code is Marada 20. All right, let's get rolling. Show number 220. When I wrote tales from the hardwood last year, and again, I get a little jacked up with the, with the images there with the virtual background, uh, I reached out to a number of people. Would they participate? And I was able to get in touch with JD. And I got to tell you, his uh, cooperation, his participation, his insight with this was great. And he wrote not just an excerpt. I made it a chapter. It was so good. His mindset and his comments were absorb chaos, create calm, and provide hope. And those words just resonated with me. They've resonated with so many people. It's part of my presentation. Um, and you think about officiating. You think about leadership. You think about your role as parents, husband, wife, uh, uh, families, work. It, it translates to so many things. And he shared a, a story about him and Tom Izzo in there and just about there was a technical foul in the game and the craziness that produced. But then outside, right, him and his wife, J.D. and his wife um, uh, bumped into Tom and they had some conversation. And she was like, isn't that the guy that just went crazy the other day? And. Uh, you know, he went crazy on you, and then here you are hugging it out. And, you know, it's part of the game. It's part of J.D.'s role as an official at that time, absorb chaos, create calm, and provide hope. But outside of that, right, they're able to be friends. They're able to communicate. So uh, I'll give you that nugget as our opening uh, statement here on the program. Uh, and that was something that J.D. had shared in Tales from the Hardwood. And uh, enough of me talking. Let's bring in uh, – uh, the star of the show here today, J.D. Collins. Welcome to Education, Leadership, and Beyond. Good afternoon. It's good to be with you. Good to have you. You're there in the home office. You're representing the NCAA. Appreciate it, J.D. Um, and let's start right there, J.D. Let's start with that, that what you wrote, that excerpt about that mindset, about creating, uh, absorbing the chaos, creating calm, and providing hope. Can you tell me about what made you put that in and uh, about that mindset? Well, I appreciate the, um, I want to tune down my, my volume so that I can hear myself. There you go. Um, 
you know, we're all plagiarists at one point or another. And Gene Habegger, uh, the former president of Taylor University, used that phrase in a uh, sermon I heard him preach one day. And I went up to him, he's a good friend to this day. And I went up to him and said, Gene, I'd like to use that in officiating, if you don't mind. He's like, yeah, absolutely. Anywhere you can use it, you can have it, you can do it. But the reality is that that is what officiating is about. It's getting the coach stuff in you. Uh, you have to absorb everything. You've got to create a calm environment, look poised, and then provide hope. And for a coach, it's that you're not going to cheat him in the last few minutes of the game. In life, as you mentioned, you don't have to look around very far before you realize there's a lot of people in chaos. I mean, a lot of chaos out there. And I, I firmly believe that our job in life is to absorb that chaos, create calm, um, provide those people some hope. And so my hope is that I live that out in my daily life and uh, show it to others uh, on a consistent basis. Yeah. And you certainly <clears throat> did that in your role as an official. You did that in your role as coordinator and, Man, it was a great story, uh, J.D. It was, a, it was a whole chapter, so grateful for that. J.D., you had a big announcement. Uh, you're going to uh, step away from your role as national coordinator October 31st. So how do you feel here about, about three months out, two and a half months out from that time? Eight, 84 days, but who's counting? Mm. Uh, I feel really excited about it. Uh, I'm, you know, the summer work for a national coordinator – Everybody thinks you stop in April and you start in November, but the summer is a, uh, a churn of video. I have my nose in the video every day, creating uh, instructional videos, coaches' videos, mechanic videos for our fall training. And then I'll get through the fall training. Uh, hopefully they'll hire someone to replace me or at or around September 1. And then uh, we'll head toward October 31 and see where it goes. But I, I'm really excited because I'm looking forward to the next step, whatever that is. Yeah. And JD, we spoke a little off air about the amount of games that you've watched, uh, what you went through the past three years with the pandemic. And tell me about how you came to this decision. You know, I have a friend that started me in officiating. His name's Gary Cheeseman, a dear friend to this day. And for the last probably three years, I'd say to Gary, Gary, how do you know it's time? Mm. And he said, hey, the best advice I got for you, you're going to wake up one morning and you're just going to know. And I'm like, that's horrible advice. I hate that, right? But uh, prior to the tournament this year, uh, obviously I've been thinking about this for a couple of years. Uh, it became very clear to me. I had peace and clarity about it. Called my wife and told her. Uh, I was on the road. And she said, well, just wait. You know, she checked with me for the next five or ten days. And it only became more resolute that, yeah, it's time. It, it's the right time. And um I'm a person who believes that once a decision has been made, you support it, you live it, you move on. And I went through the tournament without telling anybody, of course, and then shared with my boss about April the 12th that, hey, I'm giving you six months to, to replace me. Uh, let's get it started. Let's get it going. I'll do anything I can do to make the next person successful. But um, my, my brain is moving to that October 31 number. And then, you know, Realistically, I'm going to say no to everything for a year. Uh, I think there's a time and place to rest and um, restore, if you will. So saying no is pretty easy for me. So I'm going to say no and uh, do the things that I want to do. Hunt, fish, golf. We have a cabin in Michigan. Go hang out at the cabin, fix stuff. Uh, but I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. I really am excited. 
And JD, when you stepped off the court, you you stepped right into a supervisor's role, correct? What did you have a break? Yeah, I, I came off the court, and uh, my last game was two thousand uh, December thirty first or December thirtieth of two thousand nine. Had my knee replaced in March, and the following fall, I was uh, uh, a consultant for the Big Ten, and then a year later. I was the MAC and Summit coordinator for five years, and then wow. the NCAA job came open. Got that job and just kept moving from there. So you really haven't had a break in in a tremendous amount of years. So this, yeah, it's got to be, got to be good for you. And it's nice that you're able to make these decisions where you're not getting pushed in any uh, direction. So, yeah, there's. <laughs> that, yeah, there is no push from any direction, including my wife, who's ultra supportive and is is uh just looking for me to be happy and looking for me to we both feel that it's necessary to serve others in some way and uh you know i feel like i've served the basketball community now for not just these past seven years but certainly uh, the the 12 uh last years and now it's time to shift we're just going to shift J.D., you've been a tremendous leader for the ncaa uh, and in your different roles right you've uh, we've seen them on, on TV. We've seen them in live in games. We've seen you handle, uh, uh, you know, tough situations in the NCAA. Tell me some some of some traits that you took off the court as an official with you as a supervisor. Well, on the court, you have to be very decisive, um, and you have to have uh, the ability to communicate. And I think those are two things that uh, certainly took from being on the court. Uh, is very interesting as I was in a corporate a corporate job and refereeing. That refereeing made me better at my corporate job, and my corporate job made me better at refereeing. And when when referees realize that they need to communicate well, and sometimes that means the soft approach, sometimes that means a hard approach, sometimes it means a technical foul. But having the ability to do that, I certainly took away from my time on the floor. And I think the second thing is, uh, certainly for this job, I, I never, I never approached refereeing in a haphazard way. I took it; it was my responsibility, and the preparedness you have to go through, and more importantly, the focus you have to maintain while you're doing that job. If you're not prepared and you're not focused, you're going to find yourself uh, in some pretty bad situations. And I think, as I transitioned to the national coordinator job. Uh, probably to a fault, uh, preparedness and organization um, made for a lot more hours, but it put me in a very good position um, to approach my job. Well, and as someone who sat in those seminars with you, you you knew you were prepared. You knew you were ready, and those were well-run sessions. And I agree with you. Being a college official made me a better principal. And being a principal made me a better uh, college official. So I, I agree with you that. You probably there. didn't know this, Andrew, but when I was doing those seminars, we'd be in Philadelphia doing it. I'd walk up to some random official and say, give me three words. And they'd throw three words at me. And it was my job because after you prepare for a certain amount of time, you need something that's a little bit of a challenge. And I would make sure that I use those three words in that session that day. And when I use them, I'd look right at that person and go, that's one. That's two, that's three. Uh, it's just a way to keep keep things moving, but it was a lot of fun for me. Three words, I love it. 
I want to try that. I loved how you held the guys accountable that would walk in late. You you would say, uh, I got your uh, your pet, your tag up here. Uh, I have it right here. So why don't yeah. you come up and see me when you're done? <laughs> yeah, Bob Jones, please come up when you get a chance. Yeah, absolutely. You did it in such a way. Uh, that, yeah, a little sense of humor there, too. That was great. Um, JD, you did a lot of good work here. You moved the game forward. When you started back in 2015, what were some what were some goals you had? What were some some things that were set forth that you need to accomplish this, or even in your own mind, hey, I I I know this is good for the game. I want to make sure we do this. I, I thought the number one thing was that we needed a culture change. Uh, the culture, uh, whether it was separated culture or whether it was different philosophies, whatever, we needed to be on the same page. And I don't think you can ever achieve 100% on that, but I do know that we move the culture from where we were forward to where we are now. So culture was a big thing. I also was, as you know, uh, there wasn't a lot of attention given to, <clears throat> excuse me, the mechanics that we use, right position, right place, right official. And I wanted to standardize the fact that if you're in the right position, we're gonna have the right official making the right call. And I think we've made significant progress there. Um, beyond that, I think, from an NCAA perspective, uh, making sure that the NCAA tournament was a performance-based tournament, that if officials performed at the highest level, they would have the opportunity to advance. Um, when I started my first year, I think as we calculated it out, uh, probably had 13 or 14 officials that, after the regionals that earned the right to be at the Final Four. Well, we only have nine guys on the floor. When I finished the past tournament, got through the regionals, I had 23 officials out of all the regional level officials that, in my opinion, without question, that year, those games deserve to be working the final four. As you know, you can only choose nine and a couple alternates or standbys, but moving that, um, moving that forward and having ramifications for erring on a rule. And I know when I first brought that up at the beginning, you're like, yeah, we've heard this music before. Well, I could go through the list with you of the people that I sent home for rules errors or game deciding plays that cost the team a game. Uh, that's important to hold the core accountable and be very transparent about it. Yeah, those are hard, still hard things because the guys were all top guys there. And I know you have relationships as well. So I'm sure those were hard decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Always, always a hard decision. Always yeah. a hard decision. Spe speaking of that, JD, what what would you say has been the most challenging part of the job making these hard decisions? What what's been most challenging? You know, I, it's probably something. My wife and I have talked about this over the last seven years. Uh, you know, when I uh, you know I started doing weekly videos for the officials and training videos, and mm -hmm. you know she would say to me, "Man, you're busting your hump really hard." can't you do that every other week? Cause you know, I know how much time it takes, whether I'm in my, this office or I'm on an airplane or I'm in a hotel room, it's, it's gotta be done. And, and I said to her, you know, if you're going to change culture, the leader of that culture has to be the most consistent piece of that change. And so, no, I have to do it every week over and over. I, I'm sorry, but I just have to do this. And I think that, the volume is the answer to the question. The, the self-inflicted volume that I have pushed into this job is probably 
uh, the most challenging aspect of the job because realistically, I think my job as national coordinator has a seven to 10 year uh, shelf life. And maybe with me, it moved it from 10 down to seven. Maybe somebody else will move it to eight, nine or 10, whatever. But I do believe there's a shelf life and we as leaders uh, self-inflict. And I think that's been the most, you know, it's a 365 day, 24 seven job. And most people think it's five months out of the year, you watch a few ball games. Wow. JD, I've been doing this 219 times. I've never heard a leader talk about self-inflicted volume, right? Self-inflicted makes it sound like it was something bad. You yeah. were you were driving that bus. You were driving that bus of change and culture. You know, what was that ticking for you that made you drive it forward using a term self-inflicted volume? Well, I think no matter what we do, whether you're a school teacher or whether you're a nurse, you have a job to do. Yeah. And you have a decision to make as to how well you're going to do that job. Trust me, there's a lot of things I've done over the last seven years that I didn't have to do. Yeah. But again, if you're going to change a culture, if you're going to earn trust and respect, then that's really what you have to do in order to to achieve that. And I feel very good about achieving it, but I also know it at some point it takes a lot out of you. And as you alluded to, not getting a break, not getting a rest period in there. Um, I you know there's a reason that most colleges and universities have sabbaticals for their tenure track professors in year seven. They, they want them to rest, rejuvenate, renew, and come back even better. And wow. Um, yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm headed. I'm headed yeah. toward a little rest and renew. A self-inflicted uh, sabbatical. <laughs> yes. Yes. JD, in, in talking about this and rest and you, you, you know, all that you were dealing with, what were some strategies or, or specific things that you did to help relieve the stress, right? Game after game, travel, uh, and then stressful situations. What were some things that you did to reduce your stress? Well, I, that's that's a hard one. Um, you know, it's going to sound like the craziest thing in the world, but there are breathing exercises that, um, you know, yoga instructors tell you about. Uh, there's there's things you can do to control your heart rate. There's things you can do. And I use those breathing exercises when the stress went to a certain level. Um, you can do it. You know, I did it on the basketball floor. When things, you get 24,000 people coming down on top of you. You can use the breathing exercises and it reduces your heart rate. It also sends, instead of putting in adrenaline into your system, it sends a different endorphin into your system, provides a calm approach. And if your insides are calm, then more than likely you'll be able to have the outsides look calm also. Again, absorb chaos, create calm, provide hope. It's all part of that, that equation. Um, that's, you know, that's, that's the practical side of it. I think the preparedness and organization, you, you can only plan for so much stress, yeah. right? I mean, we go into the bubble in 2021. It's a stressful environment. We've never done this before. And day one, we lose six top officials, and I mean, the stress level was was rocking really, really high. And those they were friends of mine, and I feel bad for them, and I've talked to every one of them. It was a hard, hard situation, but 
I didn't have the the, the luxury of going, ah, woe is me. I had 58 guys left in the bubble that were depending on me to set a standard yeah. for how they were going to approach the intensity that they were going to have for the next 21, 24 days, whatever it was. Uh, I happened to be in the bubble for 28 days myself, and uh, I am very proud to have been a part of it, and I am glad I will never have to do it again. That's a story in itself. I've heard you speak about that and how challenging it was and, and how draining uh, that was. Maybe there's a oh. maybe there's a book there for you, The Bubble. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, you never know. You never know, That's because that's a story. I mean, that is a story of longevity. That is a story of something that's never been done before, but everybody wanted that tournament. So as somebody on the outside looking in, kudos to you for making that, making that work. Well, the reality is our... Our, the NCAA tournament is such a part of March. Yes. And our country, after going through COVID for as long as they did, needed it. They needed it. And right. the organizational effort by Dan Gavitt, uh, Joanne Scott, and the entire NCAA staff, um, nothing short of spectacular, quite frankly. Agreed. Um, JD, you, you've seen a lot of officials. You did it yourself. You know, there's that it factor, right? When you look at that certain official, you say, man, they just they just got it, right? They look good. They're, you know, tell me about that it factor versus the percentage of calls right, right? If the if the guy looks like a million bucks, but he's not getting the job done, there's a you notice that too. Where is that balance of the it factor versus this guy's getting every call right? Wow, that's a hard one because you and I both know in any sport, in it, in wrestling, whatever, whatever you do, you look at a particular person playing soccer and you go, look, they have it. Now, I can't describe it. I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. Yeah. And there are officials out there who have that. Uh, the reality, though, is for those listening to this um, podcast, most of the skills we use in business, in our livelihood, in refereeing, are learned skills. And if you take the package of whether it's communication, whether it's decisiveness, whether it's uh, movement on the floor, any of the little pieces, and you master each of those pieces, you're going to look an awful lot like that person that has it. Now you take someone who has it and they learn the skills. Um, those are the guys that are working the championship games year after year after year because they have an understanding of the game. And what I, what I like to talk about there is that there's art and there's science in officiating. Mm -hmm. Science is, you know, you read these, you read these rule books, you know, you, you, you got it all right up here at an instant, pull it out. Sometimes the art of the game means you're not going to set aside a rule, but you're going to manage the situation a little bit different. Teams playing, situation at hand and you're going to have a, a feel or a gut reaction to a play and most of the guys who have it they just know when when to apply it mm -hmm. they know when to get in and they know when to stay out uh, that's that's the best i can describe on the it factor because yeah you and i we're not going to but we can name five or six officials right now that had it right that's a good answer there. I wrote a lot of stories in this book about uh, Roger Ayers, who displays that it.
factor so many so many times and uh he was such a mentor to me but uh yeah like you said it's uh, uh when was a big thing um how about nervousness right as an official you you, know, you get that energy but as the coordinator like on the opening tip of the national tournament uh, i mean you know just a couple of years ago we had a 16 beat a one would you would you get nervous during the games as national coordinator you know I don't, I don't know that nervous is the right word, uh, but I would be lying if I didn't say that there were some anxious moments, um, like not knowing how it's going to play out. Uh, when that first tip goes up for all involved in running the tournament, myself included, we're here. Yeah. And so there, while it's anxious about what may happen, there's also a comfort to We've done all this planning. We've done all this work, and now the ball's in the air. Let's, it's just a basketball game. It's 94 feet by 50 feet with two 10-foot rims, right? I'm from Indiana. It's a Hoosiers movie. They tape, tape, they're 10-foot rims. That's the way it is. Um, so I, I don't know that, that nervous is the right word. Yeah. Would you go into the locker rooms, or would you be in, like, a war room? Would you be where, – where were you doing so, the game? Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering if I've frozen up when you hear is what I'm wondering. Um, you you're okay. You're a little jumbled here, but you're okay. okay. Perfect. Perfect. Um, during the first, I go to Dayton, Ohio for the, fir- for the first four. So I'm mm-hmm. in person there. We leave Dayton, fly to Atlanta, and I'm in Turner Studios uh, in Atlanta, Georgia, for all four days of the second round, first and second round. So we've got four games going on, four large big screens. I've got a replay monitor in front of me. And play happens, and I'm replaying it to see if, you know, punch a button, get the guy to replay it to see if we got the play right or wrong, making notes accordingly, all that kind of thing. Then after the second round, I go to CBS Studios in New York for the regionals and do the same thing. Fewer games per day, but do the same thing. Finish that up, select the final four officials, and then I head to the final four site and uh, prepare for for everything that happens uh, at the final four. And and you would come on the TV a lot, which really uh, for the viewer, the casual viewer, but even the informed referee, it was great to hear that the national coordinator either confirmed the call or explained uh, what happened. I, I think that was a great aspect uh, of of the yeah. tournament as well. Yeah, yeah, cool. For the number uh, of times, the number of times that uh, I did that, which was typically when there was a major error that occurred, uh, for every. You know, if I went on, I don't know, five times, they ask another 55 times that they wanted me on. That led to them hiring Gene uh, Steratore for the tournament, obviously, and then all of the other broadcasters have a rules expert that shares, you know, what what the rule was, how we applied it, all that kind of thing. And I think it adds a, a very positive thing for the casual viewer to understand uh, whether we did get the play right or why we went to this sequence that we that we utilize yeah that was nice of gene steratore to let you in uh, cbs there to uh, get some airtime. yeah i hear you <laughs> yeah. i hear you um let's shift gears a little bit jd you know you hear at the younger levels about the state of officiating about games not being able to be played because they can't get people because a 18 19 20 year old kid doesn't want to get screamed at you know, right. where are we at with the state of officiating? I know there's a lot of guys knocking on the Division One door because they want to be on that stage, but 
what does the other side of the pipeline look like and where are we at with the state of basketball officiating? Yeah, I, you know, it's, it's, it's a problem. And uh, in the state of Indiana this year, in softball and baseball at the high school level, there were over 600 games that did not get played because there weren't enough umpires to do that. Uh, it is a problem. And we're obviously all of us involved in the business are looking for more opportunities to get people involved. But I'll tell you this, and, and I think you know this, a friend of mine, Brenda Hilton, runs an organization called Officially Human. And Officially Human is trying to make people understand that referees, we're human. You know, we have jobs, we have families, we have all the, you know, we're trying to do the very best we can. She has a program, and I'm, I'm very supportive of this, that I don't think this is a referee problem. I think this is a parent and a fan problem. And we need to teach parents and fans what appropriate behavior looks like or hand the whistle to them and let them do it. Because once they do it, they'll understand this is not easy. And I think I'll just go sit over here and be quiet. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I I have a little bit of a bent there. But in reality, I believe it's a a parent and fan behavior issue. It's not a shortage of referees. It's the fact that they've had to put up too much. I was just at the NASO convention in Denver and a really nice lady from, I believe, Alabama, uh, working a 12 year old softball game, parents screaming, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z to you mother, by the way. And finally sat down when she walked off the field, lady walked up and popped her. Just, I mean, huge black eye dropped her on the spot. It's, it's not a shortage of referees. It's teaching parents and fans. And I, um, I should probably stop at that point, but I, I firmly believe that. Yeah. No, nah, and that's a terrible story. You hear these. Even John Higgins, top NCAA official, is reffing with his son. Yeah. He, he spoke about it. I mean, and they're giving him the business at that yeah. level. It's crazy. Oh, it's my crazy. It's Absolutely crazy. crazy. You would think they would have recognized with the hair flopping. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> 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 I love it. Yeah, well, people like you and putting the national stage and setting that standard, uh, I hope we can get there, and, and I agree with you uh, uh, about that. Um, J.D., you're stepping away from the game. You're going to do something uh, um, good. What is what is your wish for the game? What is you As you look back now through the rearview mirror at college basketball uh, and the, the state of officiating there, what's your wish? You know, my wish would be that the the person who replaces me moves the bar even further, has a new approach, new ideas, new ways of saying things that resonates with the officials. And if that occurs, to be able to continue moving uh, the culture that we have, creating an environment where the officials are writing for the brand. You've heard me say that too many times. And by the way, brand's not me. The brand's not the NCAA. The brand is officiating. Yeah. And I think I think my desire is that it continues to grow and continues to improve and that the view of officials uh, is positive, that, that we create a positive way to view officials to those who are uh, consuming the games. And along those lines, one of the things that has happened in the past few years, you know, cell phones and replays and and that the guy could have refed for 39 minutes and 57 seconds 
but that one little thing can, you know, and they replay, they replay, and then they put it on TikTok and they put, you know, how, how do we get away from that hurting or destroying someone's career? You know, I don't know that we're ever going to get away from it. Uh, I think that comes with at the, at the division level, certainly at the highest levels, the, the compensation for officiating is really, really good. Yeah. And I think that's part of why that is. And I, you know, I like to say I'm not a hater. I hope the officials make tons of money and get all the credit they deserve. Unfortunately, part of the credit is uh, when people attack them in, in certain ways. And John Higgins is a great example of that. Um, but I don't know that we're going to get away from it. the standard used to be, um, you know, achieve excellence in your officiating and with social media and how easy it is to obtain all the information, uh, the standard that people are applying to us is perfection. And I'm going to tell you, we will never be perfect. Yeah. You can't. But it's excellence we're going for. That's the goal. That's cool. J.D., you were great with these questions. What was something that you wanted to talk about that I didn't ask you about? <laughs> uh, <laughs> did you enjoy your job as the national coordinator? And I will tell you, I loved every minute of it. Um, I actually had in my mind when I was refereeing that when I turned 60, which will be this November, by the way, I'd probably be done refereeing. And then I, I, I want to be in the national coordinator job because I want to try to influence the game. And having had that opportunity for the last seven years has been nothing but pure joy for me. Uh, yes, a lot of stress and yes, a lot of uh, hard work, but that's, that's my DNA. And so it's, it's been an absolute joy for me. And um yeah, that's that's the question that you didn't ask that I would say, I want people to know that I, I loved what I did. I love, I mean, let's face it, a little leather basketball has taken me all over the world. I've seen, I've seen places all over the world. I've refereed all over the world. I've had opportunities that people only dream of. And for me to uh, find joy in that and, and keep that, I get to keep that. That gets to go with me. And I think that's uh, really important uh, as I look at how to end my career in this particular role. Well, that's refreshing to hear. You're retiring and stepping away when you wanted to. You've enjoyed it. And you modeled the things that uh, you expected as a leader and, and someone who carried the banner for their organization. So kudos to you, J.D., uh, for your leadership. And uh, that's refreshing to hear that you enjoyed it. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, so many people, right, when they leave what they did for so long, I can't wait until it's over, right? You enjoyed it. Well, and, uh, I, I'm there. I mean, I, I got I got 84 or 94 <laughs> days, it is. I'm counting. But the reality is uh, I, you and I both know uh, we have friends who are in the business, and for whatever reason, you know, when you enter money, you greed, jealousy, those kind of things in the equation, they go away from the game better, mad about everything in their yeah. career. You sense that when you talk to them, and that's just not me. I've loved every minute of it, uh, and I look forward to uh, watching watching all the officials succeed. Quite frankly, well, I'll be watching too. I enjoyed my time there. Uh, I was happy to be the, the book, right? And the book helped me really. I, I, I feel celebrate those great things that I was able to take away 
uh, from the game, and, and you were certainly a, a, a great part of that. Let's roll, JD. It's the last uh, the last media timeout. Thirty, uh, you know, after our thirty second timeout. Uh, this is rapid fire. These are quick answers, uh, kind of like a little block charge call. Quick answers. All right. All right. Here we go. Last book you read. The Boys. Uh, story about uh, Clint Ron Howard. Oh, check it out. Last movie you saw. Thirteen Lives. Story about thirteen. Um, uh, where were they at? Um, maybe Thailand. They got caught in a cave, uh, flooding, all that kind of thing, and how they got them out. It was a Ron Howard movie. It's a fantastic film to watch. Uh, watching a community come together to get 13 young lives out of this cave that's, you know, three miles deep into it. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. And the guy and the guy who led that was a great, had great leadership there, right? Big time. Yeah. Big time. Uh, you're two for two so far. I'm going to check right. both of those out. <laughs> What what's your favorite dish? You've eaten around the country. What's your favorite dish? Well, I'm a I'm a farm boy from Indiana. Pork chops and fried taters get me every time. <laughs> Pork chops and fried taters. JD stands for what? You know, there is something there, and very, very few people know it. And the good news is we're gonna finish this interview and this podcast, and not anymore are gonna find out what the JD stands for. <laughs> One of the funniest lines you've gotten from a coach, and do you remember what you gave it back? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> many officials have had the same line used on them, many, but uh, Coach one night said to me, hey, can I get a technical foul for what I'm thinking? And I said, nope, can't do it. He said, good, because I think you're, and just hammered me, and then I gave him a technical foul. He said, you could I said, you said it, you can't say that. That is a good line. What was the biggest complaint you would get from coaches about the officials? Only one. They were inconsistent. Mm. And inconsistency is, in my opinion, if I line 10 coaches up and had a series of plays to ask them about, I might get 10 different answers as to what they wanted. And that's not, that's not me harping on coaches. Uh, consistency is extremely difficult to obtain. And so we as officials have to really work even harder to try to make sure that we're as consistent as possible, half to half, game to game, season to season. The best refs were the best because? Uh, they had a feel for the game and they knew how to apply the art of the game, of officiating inside the game. Uh, in balance with science. Great answer. I mentioned the Coaching and Leadership Journal. I'm going to send you a few copies. But what is a journal or a blog that you subscribe to? You know, I, I, I don't. I, I don't know that I have a blog or journal that I subscribe to. I listen to a lot of podcasts. I try to walk every morning, and I'm either listening to a book or I'm listening to a podcast. I spent. I just told somebody this last night. I spent uh, 2020. March 12th, they said no tournament. Oh, what do you do for the next month, right? So I started walking, and I decided at that time that I would listen to podcasts on race because I needed to understand race mm. better. Mm. Uh, and I thought I knew a lot, and then the more I absorbed, the more I realized I didn't know. And um, so I'm a podcast guy and a, and a book guy. Um, 
that's the answer to your question. Good for you, man. Growth mindset. Did you listen to Talking to Strangers yet by Malcolm Gladwell? Yes. Yeah, that's a, that was an incredible book about race and so many other things there. Um, right, right. JD, a pet peeve of yours. Oh, my. Uh, pet peeve. The number one is uh, being late. Uh, because I, I have a belief that if I'm late to a function, I'm wasting someone else's time. Yeah. And I don't want anybody to waste my time. And I certainly don't want to waste your time. And so when someone's late, as you said in our big meetings, yeah, I didn't have any problem going, hey, Bob, I got your badge up here. You can't get it at the back table. Just make sure you see me, Bob Jones. You know, just making sure that there was some form of accountability. And that's all I had to say. And the rest of you took, you know, took the lead on that and busted his shots, right? So being late. Yeah. Give me a recent victory besides announcing your retirement. Give me a recent victory. My golf clubs and I had a, uh, we signed a separation agreement about three and a half weeks ago, maybe four weeks ago. And I didn't play for about three weeks. I play once a week just with friends. It's a social event for me. And I picked them back up about a week ago, week and a half ago. And magically, I, I didn't know what to do with the clubs a month ago. And magically, when I swung the club, the ball went where I told it to go. And ah. it the distance and all those kind of things. So for me, that's a victory because I, I, I had no idea. It's a hard game. It's a hard game. Really hard. <laughs> that's a victory. At 8 a.m. on Saturday morning, I feel, fill in the blank. I got a great day ahead of me. Let's make the best of it. Love it. Best purchase under $100 that has had a great impact on your life. Audiobooks. 15 bucks a month. You can't go wrong. No, you cannot. <laughs> you can't, you go, can't wrong. go wrong. Tales from the Hardwood. I read it myself. It's on there. Selfish plug. Um, if I were to come to a barbecue at your house this summer, what would you say? Oh, you got to try the smoked pork, smoked pork chops from Muncie Meats. They are unbelievable. Muncie's a small town. Uh, I know one of the owners. Their smoked pork chops are off the chart. A little Hoosiers reference. Muncie is who they played, correct? Uh, yes, Muncie Central. Yeah, okay. Absolutely. God loves the pork chops. <laughs> uh, <laughs> on November 1st, you will fill in the blank. Say no to everything for one year, then fish, hunt, golf, family, friends, and then uh, find a way to serve other people. Nice. Being a college basketball official is like fill in the blank. Freedom within the lines. You know, we all have personalities. We all have, uh, I got issues. We all have issues one way or another, right? Uh, everybody's got something big going on. I, I dislike crowds significantly. I mean, it's, it's not the fact that there's so many people. It's usually that the organization of how they move in and out of something. Oh, let's go to the middle of the doorway and stand there and stop. And that just, that doesn't work in my brain. But college basketball, for me, stepping inside those lines, I knew there were going to be 13 people on that floor. I knew the spacing. I could feel it. Mm. Total freedom for my mind and who I am as a person. That's what college basketball is. That is an awesome answer. One thing you're curious about. One thing I'm curious about. 
well, obviously heading into October 31st, you're figuring out, okay, what's next? I think the curious thing for me is I can, I can think of, you know, eight or 10 things I want to do and how to do them. But what I'm curious about is what am I supposed to do? Mm-hmm. What, what am I supposed to be doing next? And finding that out uh, is really going to be a journey of the next year, year and a half, just finding out what that is. And, you know, just like the day I woke up and said, hey, I have peace and clarity. I know it's time for me to move out of this role. I'm going to wake up one day and go, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. And hopefully that involves helping other people in some way. Yeah. Wow. And you've been a tremendous help to me, uh, J.D. And again, it's refreshing to hear somebody at the top of their game still looking to serve others. J.D., this has been great. Um, Do you have a quote you want to end this with here? Be kind. I see that on I see that on Facebook. I see that on Twitter. I see that in places. Be kind, and I think uh, where we're at in our society, if, if we before our before we open our mouths, if we could be kind uh, as a as an approach, then I think uh, we would be um, better off. Uh, I think of uh, some words that a speaker I heard said once. What what effect will these words have? What is the intent of these words? Uh, what place do these words come from? That's self-reflective. And I think we need to approach uh, people in our spheres with kindness. This is J.D. Collins, everyone. Congratulations uh, on your retirement, J.D. You're a true leader uh, and you have carried the game forward. Uh, it's been an honor to talk to you these few minutes here. Thank you very much. I appreciate being on. All right. We will see and hear from him again. Uh, J.D. Khan, certainly uh, tremendous leadership. This has been show number 220. Uh, it's an honor with your watching and participation. Leave us a question or comment uh, in the chat there. I do want to thank the Coaching and Leadership Journal again uh, for their sponsorship. Check them out. Discount code MARADA20 at leadershippublishingteam.com. Uh, I am at Andrew Murata 21 on Twitter. If I could help you in any way, don't hesitate to reach out. And uh, again, JD, thanks for your leadership. Enjoy these last few months and certainly good luck at your last round of uh, meetings there this fall. Thank you very much. All right. Stay on the line a second uh, there, JD. We're going to sign off here on Education, Leadership and Beyond, show number 220. Thanks, everybody, for tuning in.